Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of The Why Behind the What, where the what can start a conversation, but the why can open up one's soul. My name is Nathan Albert, and as always, I am so thankful you are listening today. Last week, I spent three days at a Franciscan monastery on a solitude and silent retreat. Now, I joined 70 other people uh, who were seeking to spend time being transformed through rest and silence and prayers and being unplugged for a while. And it was one of those times when it started, you had that thought of, what am I getting myself into? And it ended with a thought, I need to stay and do this for a few more days. It was really, really wonderful. I'm still processing the few days. Uh, at times, when I think about it, it brings me to tears. Uh, so something cool happened there. And in the coming weeks, I want to share actually uh, one particular story that happened to me in the chapel uh, when I was there with some votives and candles, and, uh, and I rested. So stay tuned for that story. A few weeks ago, I was in New York City uh, at Google their headquarters, their main office, and I was there to give a Google Talk about my book. Google Talks are basically uh, in-house Google TED Talks, kind of. Uh, It's one of the many perks of being a Googler, as they say, or a Google employee. They bring in speakers and authors and writers and actors and musicians, uh, Broadway performers, and they give uh, a Google Talk. And these are hour-long talks that not only allow kind of continuing education for their employees, but it it brings great insight and ideas and experiences, I think, to the office. Now, I am not that cool or well-known to do a Google Talk at Google, so I just want to say that off the bat. I'm fortunate that I have a friend who I used to perform with, uh, and he is in charge of the New York City Google Talks, and he hooked me up. So he interviewed me about my book. We hung out at Google Uh, The talk was filmed, and they're going to put that up on Google's YouTube channel in the coming weeks, so stay tuned for that. I'll be sure to spread that around social media. But Google is awesome. Uh, Google is everything you dream Google would be, should be, could be. Um, The office is amazing. It's an entire city block in New York City, uh, 14th to 15th, all the way from 8th to 9th. It's 14 stories tall. Uh, there are cafes everywhere, so you can just go around, grab your coffee anytime, you know, make have a barista make you a coffee. Um, maybe you're on a floor and you get to a, um, a place where they have coffee and there's no barista there, and don't worry, uh, you can make your own coffee, you know, just use it, make your own espresso. If you don't know how to make your own espresso, don't worry, you can just um, schedule a meeting during your workday and they'll have someone train you on how to use the espresso machine. So that's awesome. There are restaurants everywhere. Uh, there's uh, free cooking classes in their test kitchen. Yes, they have a test kitchen right there. It's it's massive. And you just go and you learn from chefs. You schedule it in, into your day. Oh, yeah. Uh, can you do that 11 o'clock meeting? No, I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm being trained how to cook prime rib. Um, awesome. There's a free dance studio. There's a gym where you can work out. There's a truck elevator that I think can lift like 45,000 pounds. There are, ladies and gentlemen, napping nooks and sleeping pods and beanbag beds where you can go and nap. And they have free froyo. Yep, all you can eat free froyo and an ice cream truck. Not a cart, an ice cream truck. And it's there and you can get free ice cream. I think no matter where we work, this is what we need to demand, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, napping nooks and free froyo. Who's with me? Yeah, there's also scooters to get around. You know, you can check them out and return them to their docking station. 
And there's this amazing rooftop patio. It's on the 14th floor. It overlooks Lower Manhattan, the New World Trade Center Tower, uh, the Statue of Liberty, and um, it's stunning, a stunning view. And the whole patio is basically a huge garden, and there's a path that winds through the garden, and you can work out there all day uh, looking over the view of New York City. It's phenomenal. Now, the one thing I didn't do while I was at Google, sadly, I did not Google anything while I was at Google. Sad. But it was awesome. It was incredible. And... Um, now I want to work for them, obviously. Uh, so if they need a podcast host or, you know, maybe uh, a, a pastor, uh, they'll call me. But my time in New York City reminded me, again, of how much I love cities. Uh, there's a buzz, there's an energy. And even though it's kind of hard to tangibly describe it, you can, you can feel it, you can recognize it. So today, I want to talk about why I love the city and why I think the city is important. Now, if you don't live in a city or you live far out in the woods or you don't have neighbors for miles, don't think I'm bashing your way of life. Uh, that's not the case. I'm, I'm simply sharing why I have come to have such a deep love and appreciation for the city. Um, they, they hold a dear place in my heart. Uh, I've lived in Chicago, New York, and London. I've spent a lot of time in Atlanta and DC, uh, family in San Diego, been a lot to, uh, in Phoenix. Uh, right now, I love hanging out in Providence, and uh, I just love cities. I have this sneaking suspicion that if I ever visit Seattle and or San Francisco, I will, I will not come home. I will just stay there forever. Um, but I love cities. Our world is actually becoming more urban. Half the world currently lives in cities. In 1950, only about 30% of the world lived in cities. By 2014, that was up to about 54% of the world. And there's estimates that by 2050, roughly 70% of the world's population will live in cities. So that is, at that time, uh, they think it'll be about 9.2 billion people in our world. Six billion people, over six billion people will be living in cities by 2050. There's also what's known as megacities. These are cities with 10 million inhabitants or more. And these are increasing in number as well. So LA and New York are megacities here in the U.S., uh, around the world, you have Tokyo and Mexico City, um, Bombay, Shanghai, Calcutta, for example. And then with the continued move into cities, it's estimated then that these megachurches, or mega, mega churches, uh, mega cities will increase from about 10, which it's currently at, to about 28 in the next 20 to 30 years. Now, there's all sorts of ramifications about this movement that is happening as the world uh, becomes more urbanized. There's all, there's tons of implications. Um... But as our world becomes more urban, and as more people are living and will live in cities, I think it's important for us to understand the good of the city, and I would say the spiritual spirituality of the city. Now personally, cities connect me to my spiritual side. They refresh my soul. There's something about them when I'm there, I feel connected to God. Uh, there's just something about it. It's life-giving, it's refreshing, it's rejuvenating. And it's so intriguing and mysterious. Now, I, there's no doubt I think a lot of people find their spiritual side in nature. It's when they go off into the mountains or hike a trail in the woods or go camping for a weekend or sit on top of a mountain looking over the tree line or, or they get away from people to find solitude. They, they unplug for a while. And in these moments, many people sense God's presence or a divine being or something holy. They're reminded of God's bigness and their littleness they, they see this beautiful creation, the mountains and the trees and the ocean and 
uh, the birds of the air and a canopy of leaves, a spectrum of colors, the sound of silence, the beauty of nature. Uh, this, this past weekend, I was reading a book by Barbara Brown Taylor called Leaving Church. And it's her memoir, as a, uh, her as a pastor turned uh, professor. And many of her stories in this book are how she encountered God through nature or through uh, a gaggle of geese. I think it's a gaggle of geese. Maybe it's a herd of geese. I don't know. Uh, or how she used to lay in the tall grass watching the clouds. And there was something in, the, in that time for her, uh, as, as she says, it connected her to the divine presence. Nature for her was so rejuvenating and refreshing and renewing. And while she was in it, she was always aware that God was with her. Not too long ago, uh, my wife and I spent a weekend up in Maine, and it was refreshing. It was nice to get away from uh, the regular routine of life. We had no agenda. We had no notion of the time, really. We sat on the porch overlooking the lake. We ate when we were hungry. We slept when we were tired. We stayed up late. We slept in. We got up early. The sunsets were incredible. The tree line was beautiful. There was this bald eagle that uh, seemed to soar overhead for much of the afternoon. And after that uh, weekend, or after the week I had, that, that weekend was so needed. Uh, and the surroundings made me ever aware of God's beauty. Now, I like nature, no doubt about it. I like nature, and I like nature to a point. Like, I like nature when there are no bugs, which basically means I like nature when I'm inside. Even in Maine, I was a little worried that that bald eagle was going to soar down and peck me to death, you know? Uh, I actually prefer um, lamping instead of camping. Now, lamping, um, for those of you who, who may not know, is, is simply luxury camping. You know, uh, renting a lodge or a cabin with electricity and proper places to shower and use the bathroom. Uh, minimal bugs is, is a key requirement of lamping. Uh, and luxury camping is, it, it's much more like staying in a nice hotel than staying in a tent. So that's what I prefer. Now, when I go into nature, uh, no doubt, for a few minutes, I'm like, wow, good one, God. This is really cool. And, and there's no doubt about it. I see God's creation, and I think it's absolutely mesmerizing. But then, I, then after a few minutes, um, I usually feel really alone, and I start thinking, man, I wish there were some people around here. Where is everyone? Uh, this happened to me while I was uh, at the Grand Canyon, actually. I drove alone, was traveling across the country, uh, found a spot to myself, at the edge of the canyon, and I took a seat and I kind of looked over the Grand Canyon, I, and it was phenomenal. I had my guitar in my car, so I went and grabbed it, and I sat there uh, playing music, and it was it was a really spectacular and holy uh, moment for me. But then I I started to miss the people, and I kind of wanted people around. Uh, and so some of my most spiritually refreshing times. They have come when I'm in nature, but some of uh, the more regular spiritual moments and refreshing times came not when I was in nature, but when I was immersed in the city surrounded by people. Now, when I've been immersed in the city and I've had these spiritual refreshing times, uh, it's been simple things like writing in a journal and reading scripture in a coffee shop or sitting on a park bench admiring the local street art, uh, attending mass or, or, or praying in silence inside cathedrals that seem to be hidden among the skyscrapers. I've listened to the sounds of the city and enjoyed the divine presence through God's people. And all of it allows me to get in touch with my spiritual side. It is refreshing, it is renewing, and it is restoring for me. Now, one of the first reasons I love the city is because it is full of God's ultimate creation. 
humanity. Literally, people are everywhere. Now, as a Christian, uh, I'm a firm believer that God is the ultimate creator. That God's ultimate creation, the climax of God's creation, the completed masterpiece is humanity. And upon all people is the fingerprint of God, the imprint of God. And so somehow, when we see people, when we are surrounded by people, we get a glimpse of the divine. We see a bit of God when we see people. And so the city is where you are physically bombarded and inundated with God's ultimate creation. More than any other place, it's in the city when you are surrounded by the diversity of the ultimate creator's ultimate creation. There are different races and ethnicities, rainbows of flesh tones and and hair colors, uh, the sound of countless languages and accents, physical reminders of rich and poor or young and old. God's ultimate creation is everywhere. You see the full spectrum of this creation, and I think it's absolutely stunning. A few weeks ago when I was in New York City, almost immediately when I got off the train, I was reminded of this beautiful diversity. As I sat on the subway, I was surrounded by God's creation. I was bumping into them and leaning next to them and and hearing them speak and seeing them in action, reminded of how small I am and how beautiful people are and how big my God is. In the city, I feel near to God because I am near God's ultimate creation, people created in God's image. In the city, I see the diversity of God's creation, and because of that, I see more of God. The fullness of God's ultimate creation is seen when the fullness of God's diversity is present. Now, this is one of the reasons why there is such a a push in in many denominations for the multi-ethnic or multicultural churches. Now, there's a lot of different language about this, um, but for these churches, when becoming multi-ethnic, when God's diverse creation is represented within that community, uh, you get a fuller glimpse of God. And so being a part of a multi-ethnic community is proof that the gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing among the church. Uh, Mark Laberton, he's the president of Fuller Seminary, and he's this gifted preacher. I've seen him preach a handful of times, and his books are great. And and he was recently on a a podcast called The New Activist, and he was sharing the importance of multi-ethnic communities due to the charges and commands that uh, you find throughout Scripture, such as Ephesians 2 and and 4. And he's speaking... um, to this Christian community. And he's saying that when we don't pursue diversity, when God's diverse creation isn't fully represented, or when we are um, staying as homogenous communities, the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of God is not represented. And then he said that because of that, our witness is impaired. Bold words. And yet a multi-ethnic community then, he is saying, can give you a glimpse of God's kingdom on earth. I had a a similar experience to this when I was um, lamping in Michigan. A group of friends of mine from Chicago, we took a weekend trip to a small town on Lake Michigan. We rented a cabin with electricity and a fireplace. We were, friends, we were really rough in it. I mean, we turned on lights and turned them off, you know, when it was dark out. And um, I didn't didn't get many bug bites, so it was rough. Uh, But we were a group of four African-Americans, three Koreans, uh, and a couple of white individuals. Some people look at me and wonder if I'm, you know, Grecian or Egyptian or Italian. But um, And so one night we decided to go into town and hit up this restaurant slash bar slash possible dance club at night. 
Uh, and we sat out on the patio of this restaurant slash bar slash possible dance club. And we were at the obvious, um, we were the out of towners. It was pretty obvious. And as the later it got, and the more people that showed up to this restaurant slash bar slash dance club, uh, and the more drinks started flowing, the more I noticed that a lot of people spent their time watching us out of towners. There was one table in particular that would look at us and seem to talk among themselves about us. Now it got to the point, it got to the point where I started to prepare myself. Well, maybe they might start saying some things about us, or or maybe they're going to make some comments or pick a fight. And so I was sensing something in the air. I'm an S on the Myers-Briggs, so I'm always sensing my surroundings. Um, but as I was preparing myself for what I might for what might take place, I sensed God clearly say to me, which doesn't happen very often, but I had this thought and, and I felt God say to me, they aren't going to pick a fight with you. They're witnessing a glimpse of heaven on earth. They're simply mesmerized and a bit confused by it. And so the pursuit of the multi-ethnic communities, especially among Christians, is how we can show the gospel to the world around us. Uh, it's the tangible way that the gospel can be seen. Now, there's a ton of great material out there on this. There's books and podcasts, uh, so I recommend uh, you checking those out if you want to learn more. But this story has really influenced me, and it's been a key moment in my life that, that changed the way I view the importance uh, not only of multi-ethnic communities, but the, the pursuit of relationships across different races, across different classes, across different genders. Now, back to the city with this in mind. So again, the city is where you can find and see the fullness of God's ultimate creation, humanity. The diversity of God's creation is everywhere in the city. And you can be in relationship with people so different from yourself. And these relationships help you get a fuller and deeper understanding of humanity and a fuller and deeper understanding, therefore, of God. Now, the second reason why I love the city is that the city is full of God's ultimate creation's creations. The city is full of God's ultimate creation's creations. Now, just as I'm a firm believer that God is the ultimate creator, I'm also a firm believer that God's ultimate creation, humanity, was given the job to be co-creators. God's ultimate creation was to go out and create. And the city is where you are reminded of and where you see and where you are surrounded by God's ultimate creation's creations. They are the, the cities are the epicenters of architecture and art and music and design and education and fashion and law and creativity. And because of this then, uh, cities are epicenters of influence. What happens in New York or Chicago or DC or LA trickles out to the rest of the country. Whether it's fashion or music or television or educational practices or, or ways of thinking, what starts in the city eventually moves across the country. And God's ultimate creation's creations are everywhere in the city. You see the full spectrum of this creation, and I think it's stunning. For me, there's, there's almost nothing greater than sitting in a city, uh, like Chicago at Millennium Park. Uh, those of you who know Chicago, you know what I'm talking about. Or, or, or if, you're in, if you're in New York, uh, sitting in Central Park. Or if you're in D.C., uh, the National Mall. Or if you're in Seattle or San Francisco, name that place and invite me there and I will never come home. Um, but each city has their own spot. They're, they're kind of this, their own refuge within the city. 
uh, in Chicago, you know, Millennium Park, it, it's this huge park downtown Chicago. It's filled with sculptures and art and an outdoor concert venue. And from it, you can see the, the beauty of the skyline and turning around, you can look over the lake. And from it, you can walk to the Art Institute and see the symphony or, or in winter, you can go ice skating and, and people are everywhere. It's the same in Central Park. I, I love sitting on those huge rocks and enjoying the surroundings there. And in, in this one part of the city, you are surrounded by God's ultimate creation, people, and God's ultimate creation's creations. Now, of course, cities have all sorts of problems. Just as they are epicenters of influence, just as they are hubs of God's ultimate creations and God's ultimate creation's creations, they are also hubs of God's ultimate creation's corruptions. And this is true of any town or any village or any city where people live. Uh, there is inequality and there are scandals and selfishness and the misuse of power and segregation and racism and extreme greed and violence and the oppression of people. And because of this, uh, cities can get a bad rap. People believe that the cities are, are, are bad or they're full of crime or they're dangerous. Now, there's no doubt that, that cities in cities, bad things can happen and crime can occur or being in a new environment might make one feel as if they're in danger. And of course, you see all this in a city uh, because you are so immersed by people. So of course, you see corruption, people's corruption in a city where there's so much, so many people. Uh, but for some people, though, fleeing the city becomes more important than restoring the city. And I think as a Christian, we have such an important role to play in our cities that I think we have a call upon our lives to work with God to restore the city, uh, as Scripture says, to seek the welfare of the city. Whichever city we find ourselves in, we have a job to do to care and for and restore the city, not flee from it. Now, here's why. Because cities are epicenters of influence, because they are full of God's ultimate creations, and because they are full of God's ultimate creations' creations, I think that if they are restored and if they are renewed, they will actually look like a glimpse of heaven on earth. Now think about it. A place that is full of God's ultimate creations. A place that is full of humanity of the diversity of humanity, a place that is full of God's ultimate creations, creations, a place of influence. And if it's a place of good, of restoration, of hope, of justice and love, well, that city and that place will revolutionize the world. This, the Christian scriptures talk of a, a new heavens and the new earth. It's describing this future image when everything will be made right, when all things will be made new, when everything will be working the way God originally designed it to work. And in this new heaven and this new earth, it's not going to be a garden anymore like it was in the beginning of the Bible, uh, but it will be a city. And this city will be right and it'll be new and it'll be good. And the scriptures use these metaphors to describe that this city and this goodness, that, that it'll be aligned with gold, that the city will be transparent as glass. Uh, there'll, there'll be no need for light because God's glory will light all things. There will be no gates because no longer will certain people need to be shut out or, or, certain, uh, or there, will there be a need to protect the city from evil. I love this. I love this imagery because everything great in a city then will become better and everything wrong in the city will be made right. And check this out. In the Christian tradition, there's this belief that God will dwell with the people 
in the city, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old way of things has gone, and this God is making everything new. I mean, how beautiful is that picture of the divine? Like, that, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes? How precious and intimate is that? How many times in our lives have we needed that? How nice is it to know that the ultimate creator is so close to the ultimate creation that the, the tears would be wiped from their eyes? And so the city will be made right. This is why in the New Testament, many of the stories tell of Christians going from city to city to start new churches, to be communities that cared for the entire city. This is why Paul, for example, in the New Testament, started a church in the city and then moved on to the next city and then started a church there and then moved on to the next city. The cities then, just as now, were hubs of influence. They were full of God's diverse, ultimate creations. They were full of God's ultimate creations, creations. And that's why Christians started churches in the cities. They were bringing good news to the city so that the cities would be where all people could experience the good news and the good news could trickle out from there. This is another reason why I think it's so important for Christians to live in cities and care for the cities. And not only are we uh, to be a glimpse of heaven on earth by representing the fullness of God's creation, but we have a job to do to help God make things right to help God restore our cities, to live into our calling to be co-creators who not only create but also renew the city. This is why we don't, uh, we don't need more Christian lawyers or Christian musicians or Christian politicians or Christian schools isolating ourselves from the world around us. Instead, we need more Christians who are lawyers and more Christians who are musicians and more Christians who are teachers and administrators and who are politicians and who are making cities just and right and Christians who are seeking the welfare of the city. For when Christians love mercy and do justice and walk humbly with God, as they seek the welfare of the city, as they create communities that represent the fullness of God's diverse creation, they will create cities that look a little more like heaven on earth. I think that is pretty darn cool. And I think that is, is really good news. So this is why I love cities. This is why I have hope for cities. It's full of God's diversity full of God's ultimate creations. It's full of God's ultimate creations, creations. It's full of glimpses of good news. It's full of glimpses of God. And in the city, I am connected and I see glimpses of God. So here's to the city, epicenters of influence, diversity, and energy. Here's to holy places that bring restoration, rejuvenation, and renewal. Here's to God's ultimate creation and to the ultimate creation's creations. And here's to the why behind the what. Cheers. Cheers.